Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Go ahead, Gavin. Read me one more fan theory from the internet and see what happens. Ass. The following podcast contains... This man! This man is responsible for so much filth... Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you had your light cavalry charge a numerically superior foe head-on instead of going from the flanks, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe and this is a Friday, May 3rd, 2019, We Drink and We Know Things edition of the show where we talk Game of Thrones. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Deus Ex Machina, the solution to your plot problems. Are you trapped in a logical fallacy, tripped up by sloppy writing, confused by continuity, or just plain out of ideas? Try Deus Ex Machina. This time-honored, well-worn trope will complete your creative project quick, easy, and simply in just one application. No matter how fucked up your storyline has gotten, you can always use Deus Ex Machina to finish it up. Just ask some of our previous customers like J.J. Abrams on Lost or Ron Moore of Battlestar Galactica Reboot. When your great ideas are just too hard to conclude, Deus Ex Machina is the machine for you. Use promo code NIGHTKING at checkout and get a free trial of our new product, Checkoff's Gun, at checkout. Well, Jon Snow is dead. Yes, he's dead for good. But he might be the heir to the Iron Throne. Oh well, not anymore. Because of how dead he is. What should we do with the body? Bury him? No, I think with this one we just leave him out for a few days on this slab so that everyone can see how dead he really is. Boy, he's dead. He is the deadest. Dead? For sure. Oh my god, this is so slow. Just bring him back to life already. Yeah, we all know it's gonna happen. Just do it. No, it is not going to happen because he is super dead. On a scale of one to ten, he is like a ten of dead. Totally, Sir Davos. But wait, does Jon Snow have to be? Have to be what, Toilet? Have to be dead. No, he doesn't. So let's wake him up and pop him on a horse and go fight someone or something. Because we only get ten hours of this a year, people, and we spent two in this room. Yep, right now we're doing this, and we need to be doing this. (laughs) I've had a long and frustrated history with television. God knows I've talked about it enough over the past few years, so you're probably as tired of hearing about it as I am talking about it. Oh, yes, God, yes. Well, you know what? Tough. I mean, my problem goes all the way back to the 1970s when I was obsessed by Battlestar Galactica, the original one with the monkey in the robot dog suit. That's not Muffet. It's not even a real dagger. To a 10-year-old me, this show was everything I could ask for on television. Giant spaceship, evil robot aliens, dogfighting, laser blasters, and just enough skin to tantalize my nascent p*** 
puberty. And it was piped for free into my home once a week, unlike Star Wars, which cost money. And it was brand new, unlike Star Wars, which I'd seen about a thousand times over. It was appointment television to a 10-year-old Dave. But then... Battlestar Galactica was abruptly canceled. And what's worse, the final episode of the series ended on this incredibly tantalizing note. We are receiving a signal. What is it? I was crushed. My favorite fucking show was going to end like that? It was unnecessary and cruel, and in many ways prepared me for a lifetime of romantic relationship disappointments. You're worthless and no one will ever love you. But then... Then, pod friends. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. The news broke that Battlestar was not gone forever and would actually return in a year in syndication. This was the answer to my prayers to the Lords of Kobol. And this was also when I learned never to trust or believe anything anyone ever tells you because the Battlestar I got back in 1980 was, uh... That is one big pile of shit. Different actors set 30 years in the future and on Earth. I mean, I was on Earth and no one wants to be there. It fucking sucked. Even as an 11-year-old, I could tell that this was some slapdash, half-ass, retread piece of shit someone jacked together in order to make a few dollars off the dead idea. And it also made me realize that the original Battlestar was uh, kind of shit to begin with. It was clearly a cheap-ass ripoff of Star Wars with some Mormonism and low-budget uh, special effects thrown on top. The whole thing killed science fiction television for me for nearly 20 years. It wasn't until the X-Files that TV sci-fi was worth a damn. Shit. I would stay home on Fridays to watch the X-Files, and then I would go out drinking. It was the birth of appointment television. All of which brings me to a little show a few people are watching called, uh, let me check, uh, what's my notes say here? It's, it's fairly obscure, no one's really heard of it. Game of, Game of, Game of Thrones, that's it. You might have heard someone talk about it. Bunch of goddamn nerds. I think even the show's creators were shocked at how big this show became. Think about it, before Game of Thrones, if you ask the average TV viewer if they wanted to see a fantasy show with dragons and ice monsters, their response would have not been enthusiastic. Fuck you! Mm, why are you still talking to me, huh? But by the end of the first season, everyone was watching and everyone was talking about Thrones. From a 2014 article in Forbes, quote, So what is it about the show that is so compelling? It has some obvious hooks, the sword fights, the sex, the nakedness, the intrigue. We could certainly indulge in these elements for a little escape of reality. But the show runs deeper than just fantasy escapism, and it hits on all kinds of other levels. After all, it asks us to get intimately acquainted with the characters, their histories, and their motivations, while simultaneously teaching us that we have no idea what's going on at all. And who can resist that kind of delightful manipulation? Unquote. The article goes on to lay out several reasons why the show was so good, from world-building to the complex characters, the sex, the surprise character deaths, the complexity of women characters on the show, and of course, the stellar acting and writings. 
Thrones was masterful television by any standards and completely deserved the plaudits from the critics and the love of the viewers. It elevated both genres, both television and fantasy, to heights never before experienced. It transformed from a TV show to a cultural event, to the point now where you are the weird one if you don't watch it. You don't watch Game of Thrones? Also, and look before I say that, let me clear, there have always been black nerds. The person who introduced me to Dungeons & Dragons was black. But culturally, swords and sorcery is not traditionally talked about at the cookout. But hashtag ThemThrown is the hashtag on on the Twitter machine for the best memes and commentary. Just listen to this clip from the Black Guy Who Tips podcast talking about hashtag ThemThrones. Somebody on Twitter tried to tell me because you know they like Team Arya versus Sansa, or uh-huh. whatever. And you know I'm Team, I'm Team both of them, right? But somebody tried to tell me that she's not a psychopath. You know how long it takes to come up with a recipe to cook human beings in bread and feed it to a motherfucker? Come on, what 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 what's the wet dry mixture? I mean, this cannot be easy. I don't think Hot Pot taught her how to make all that. Okay? No, he did not. Zarin Burnett writes in Mel Magazine on Game of Thrones about black fandom. And I commend you to the whole article. It's in the, sh- it's in the citations needed in the show notes. But what he says about the writer and comp- commentator Jamel Hill is pretty representative of the black Game of Thrones experience. Quote, over on black Twitter, Thrones chatter gets loud. The commentary is unapologetically black, meant to speak in a language expressed in a different pitch and syntax. Hashtag Dim Thrones is, f- is a freshly populated each week, kind of like a pop-up beauty parlor or a free-floating barbershop. It's a low-key, just-us location that momentarily exists to host a convo spoken in online blackness. This is how Atlantic's Jamel Hill found her way into the wintry epic of swords, sex, and dragons. Like me, it took multiple attempts for her to get into it. It's fair to say that we, black people that is, aren't known for our appreciation of bleak and frozen landscapes or the taciturn people who live there, unquote. What I'm saying is, is Game of Thrones has left the whole realm of TV and is now fully the cultural zeitgeist for a huge swath of America. Of course, I would be remiss if I did not discuss George Raymond Richard Martin, the creator of the book series A Song of Fire and Ice, from which Game of Thrones was adapted. Born September 20th, 1948, Bayonne, New Jersey, G.R.R. Martin, as he is called by pretty much everyone, sold his first short story in 1970 and has made his living as a writer since 1976. Anyone who was into sci-fi and fantasy in the 1980s read at least some of Martin's books, though personally, I never really enjoyed his style. Look who knows so much, huh? Hey, it's just a personal preference, all right? He did a stint in Hollywood as a writer in the mid-1980s, working on the rebooted Twilight Zone and the quirky and delightful Max Headroom. Max Headroom, what are you? (laughs) Well, I think of myself as a normal, normal, happy-go-lucky sort of guy, but there's a lot of people who see me as something else. I guess there's a bit of both in me. Who are you? (laughs) Uh, This is a tough one. You see, I was just Max, 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 Max,
Come 1991, however, frustrated by Hollywood, Martin left and returned to writing novels inspired by the work of J.R.R. Tolkien. Big surprise. He decided he would embark on crafting an epic fantasy and began to work on what would become the series A Song of Ice and Fire, the first volume of which title, A Game of Thrones, was published in 1996. It was followed in 1998 by A Clash of Kings, in 2000 by A Storm of Swords, in 2005 by A Feast for Crows, and in 2011, after the HBO adaptation began, the book A Dance with Dragons. There are ostensibly two more volumes that will come out right around the time Hell Breathes Over. A Song of Ice and Fire did all right in the genre market, but it didn't rock it out of the gate. Honestly, the market for fantasy books when it was first published was moribund, to borrow a Martin X turn of phrase, as it was glutted with cheap mass market paper crap pouring out of places like TSR, the publishers of Dungeons and Dragons, who had just been shitting all over the market with all sorts of crappy fantasy books for the better part of the decade. And no one considered anything with a dragon on the cover much better than pulp crap with less literary merit than anything featuring Fabio on the cover. Stop talking about Fabio! We weren't allowed to not talk about Fabio in the 90s. The books failed to break into the bestseller list on the New York Times, but... It did well enough to see the second volume published, and slowly word of mouth began to go around that Martin's book were not usually the sort of swords and wizard stuff that everyone was reading at the time. I mean, oh my god, I remember how scandalized that many of the main characters were girls. Those boobs? Gross! By the time the third volume hit the market, all three books rocketed to the top of the New York Times bestseller list and were widely considered masterworks of the fantasy genre. From a Time Magazine article in 2005, quote, But those who work in the grand epic fantasy tradition, Martin is by far the best. In fact, in his newest book, A Feast for Crows, currently descending on bookstores and ascending the bestseller list, this is as good as time as any to proclaim him the American Tolkien. What really distinguishes Martin and what marks him as a major force for evolution and fantasy is his refusal to embrace the vision of the world as a Manichaean struggle between good and evil. Tolkien's works has enormous imaginative force, but you have to go elsewhere for moral complexity. Martin's wars are multifaceted and ambiguous, as are the men and women who wage them and the gods who watch, watch them and chortle. And somehow that makes them mean more. A Feast for Crows isn't pretty elves against gnarly orcs. It's men and women slugging it out in the muck for money and power and lust and love, unquote. And thus the stage was set when Hollywood came calling again. In 2006, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss approached George R.R. R. Martin with the idea to pitch the show in Hollywood. Now, they realized that making such a sprawling work into a movie would be impossible, and also, they would have to probably cut out all the rape and the incest. But we need that! So after getting Martin's blessings, they put together a package and pitched the show as a series to HBO. Somehow, and I strongly suspect it was the influence of the old god, HBO said yes. In 2009, Weiss and Benioff produced a pilot which by all accounts was a complete and utter Class A clusterfuck. Weiss himself said of the original pilot, quote, Watching them watch that original pilot was one of the most painful experiences of my life. As soon as it finished, Craig Mazin said, You guys have a massive problem. 
Was it the flashback to Ned's brother dying and that was the issue? Jennifer Ailes' original performance as Caitlin Stark, the lunatic overwrought death of John Aaron, or maybe it was the fact that, according to Benioff, none of our friends realized that Jamie and Cersei were brother and sister, which is a major, major plot point that somehow failed to, we failed to establish, unquote. So the pilot was rewritten, recast, and reshot into the pilot we've all seen, and the rest, they say, is history. Which brings us to now, the final season of the show, which premiered in April, and everyone is obsessively watching, obsessively waiting for the conclusions to the myriad mysteries contained within the intricate plotting and foreshadowing of the preceding seasons, waiting for the payoff to all the time, effort, and emotional energy we've collectively poured into this thing for ten fucking years. And I'm here to tell you, pod friends. Get used to disappointment. Because if the three episodes I've seen, indeed the past three seasons I've seen, are any indicator, you ain't gonna get that payoff. Why do you hate me when I show you nothing but love? Oh, come on, think about it, people. You all know it's true. Ever since the show left Martin's original storyline, it's been a hit-or-miss proposition at best. Martin gave the writers the general outline of how he intends to end the story, and both Martin and the writers have admitted they've taken some pretty big liberties with that outline. And look, it's their show. They can do what they want. But I'm their customer, and I'm telling you that they took a Ferrari and turned it into a Toyota Corolla. Sure, it's a solid, serviceable car that will get you from here to there and back, but no one is going to want to fuck you because you drive it. Stinking metaphors! I'm not saying that the show is bad. I still enjoy it quite a bit. I'm saying that it isn't great anymore. Benioff and Weiss succeeded in distilling Martin's windy-ass writing, and trust me, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, into the pure white lightning of the story in the seasons they were basing it off of the books. But without Martin's recipe for the sour mash, the whiskey isn't as strong. All that is going on now is just a headlong rush to the end without any real nuance or real consideration of why things are happening. They're just showing things happening. The show actually spent more time in the north of the wall than the books by percentage, but the entire plot of the Night King was closed up in one fucking episode without any real explanation or understanding on what the entire plot about the Night King was even about. Was it cool how it ended? Absolutely. But it didn't answer a single goddamn question. Fuck no. It's like Bran Stark, three-eyed raven, an entire plot arc. Just Joho's scathing article on Mashable stuck the Valerian steel into the gap in the frozen corpse's armor by saying, quote, Our issue is that the showrunners seem to be under the impression that the surprise of Arya defeating the Night King instead of Jon is the kind of unexpected twist on par with the Game of Thrones history of subverting expectations. It isn't. Sure. Some viewers might have expected the traditional hero like John to deliver the final blow, but you don't subvert his hero's journey by replacing it with a different, less expected hero's journey in every other way imaginable. The long night turned Game of Thrones into a fantasy genre character of pure good versus pure evil that George R. R. Martin himself has repeatedly condemned, unquote. And really, this is all Martin's fault. When the show caught up with Dance of Dragons, the latest book in the series published eight years ago, I would like to add, I said to anyone who would listen, I was done waiting for Martin to finish, and I would accept just however the show ended as the end of the series. And 
the last book, A Dance with Dragons, was bad. I mean, really bad. It was a turgid fucking doorstop of a book. A thousand plus pages of overly long descriptions of whatever the fuck the characters in the book were eating and ponderous internal monologues. It was clear that the prince who was promised is actually a fucking editor with a balls to take the red pins to Martin's droning descriptions and vacuous meandering plot twists with extraneous characters and save the seven kingdoms from its creator. And somehow, even still, the last seasons of the show are worse. Instead of rich and complex characters, they've been reduced to two-dimensional versions of where they started. Daenerys, who was never a particularly compelling character in either version of the story, is now little more than a tyrant with the trappings of the hero. Jon Snow in the book, who is rich and layered person, deeply conflicted about his place in the world and the Watch and the role the Watch plays with the wildlings. Shit, in the books, we've even, we haven't even seen a White Walker yet, and they are still referred to as the Others. Tyrion has been reduced to a puppy-love-struck teenager making worse decisions than I did when I tried to impress Jenny DeCello in high school by showing her my guitar calluses on my fingertips. That is so gross. I might vomit. Cersei. Actually, Cersei is the one character that in the show is far, far better than in the books. Lena Headey elevated her from the Wicked Witch of King's Landing to make her live. And God, the fucking plot. What the fuck happened? It's like watching the show run at 3x speed as we race from plot point to plot point. I think what they're doing is hoping you don't notice there really, really is no reason for the characters doing what they're doing other than George Martin wrote it on an outline. It's infuriating to watch a show that began breaking all the tropes of fantasy, tropes which I love and embraced as a reader all of my life, and turn them on the, and then Martin turned them on the head. And then he and then watched the show morph into something that has become, for all intents and purposes, in the past few seasons, Tolkien with tits. Again, this is not me saying the show is bad or any particular episode is unwatchable. It's just not as good as it thinks it is or as the fans think it is. I mean, look, it's understandable the show isn't as good as it was because its source material was so good, and now that source material isn't. The creators of the show don't know how to end it, and the show will never live up to its earliest incarnation. It doesn't mean we can't enjoy it for what it is. It just means it will never be what it was. It's sad, but inevitable, because brilliance is finite. Don't believe me? Going back to the X-Files, by the time it ended, it was a kludge of a show tottering on just out of sheer spite. Anyone remember Lost? Remember how Lost was the water cooler show that everyone was talking about and it was obsessed over? Remember how that show turned out? The Walking Dead. That show is deader than its zombies, and like its zombies, it keeps on going, getting more and more rotten all the time. Or hey, let's talk about the show that I just fucking fell in love with from my childhood, the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. It was a critical darling only to turn into a wet and stinky fart that lingered long after we tried to fan it away. And it was only three and a half seasons. Brilliance is finite. And this is where a lifetime of being a fan of fantasy comes in because anyone who has slugged through Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series or Terry Brooks' endless Shannara Brooks or shit, even the precipitous decline of Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles all knows what happens when the author's ego starts writing checks their typewriter can't cash. 
And look, if you don't know any of those names besides Anne Rice, of course, let me explain briefly. Robert Jordan wrote massive multi-volume epics like George R.R. Martin that went off the rails, and then he died before he could complete them. Not saying that's going to happen. Not saying it's going to not either. And it took to have another younger author come in after Robert Jordan died to finish the story. And trust me, the story was better for it. Terry Brooks wrote, wrote books that oscillated wildly between derivative crap and deeply compelling literature. And Anne Rice, no one knows what the fuck she's doing anymore, including Anne Rice, besides, you know, getting paid. And that's fantastic. I'm glad that they're all getting paid. But you see, it's easy to have big ideas and easier to let your big ideas grow into sprawling epics. What is hard is finishing them and keeping them as fresh and tight and gripping as from the first book to the last. I mean, I sure as fuck can't do it. I can barely stay on topic for a 30-minute podcast. So I'm not saying all this just to be a dick. I'm saying it, I don't know, just basically to get it off my chest. Because I do think Game of Thrones has just been a net positive for all of us. It opened up the door to a lot of other stories in the genre and showed people that just because a story has guys carrying swords isn't, it isn't necessarily for kids. Hell, I think Game of Thrones is one of the things that led to the renaissance of Dungeons and Dragons because it showed people fantasy is fun, cool, even sexy. I mean, those of us who'd read Conan back in the day already knew that, but good on you guys for just now figuring it out. Anything that makes people enjoy good stories... I'm in favor of. So this is not me hating on something because people like it. This is me hating on something because I like it and I want it to be better. And oh, one more thing before I go. Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen, you are the worst fucking generals in the world. No one sends light cavalry charging into the front ranks of any massed infantry, much less the undead. That is the job for the heavy horse, you bunch of fucking animals. I learned that shit in eighth grade. That is it for our show this week. Well, there were some spoilers in there. I tried not to. But honestly, why are you listening to the show if you haven't watched the fucking episode? It's pretty clear what the topic was. How did you even exist? Did you just arrive from Essos or something? What the fuck? You, how can you not be spoiled and not how this? Never mind. Never mind. Just get caught up. All right. Just get caught up. Jesus. It's, I mean, it's. I haven't seen the Avengers yet, so I'm not going to tune into an Avengers podcast until I do. And besides, I already know how fucking everything ends in the Avengers just through cultural osmosis. Speaking of osmosis, rate and review this show wherever you get your podcast, so this show can seep into others like a diarrhea-causing amoeba. You can follow all of my infectious parasitic thoughts on Twitter at the Hell underscore podcast. And all of my bowel cleansing episodes are on, the sh- are on SoundCloud at the show name and at, do- at whatthehellpodcast.com. For me, Dave House Jameson Bledsoe, first of his name, producer like Samuel Tarley but fatter Gavin, and all the fictional whites shambling around the studio, we want to say we thought this song was funny, but honestly, it was kind of fucking prophetic. We'll see you all next week. It's an obsession, I'm filled with depression Cause it's the end of season two Now my friends all tell me that I've lost My grip on reality They tell me it's just a nerd show But dragons are real to me Someday those dragons will be grown Daenerys will be my queen And when we reclaim the throne you won't be allowed in our house Don't call me at night Sunday night, I don't care who dies.
So I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.